see so much in Jeremiah, more than in most of the prophets, is a lot of information in terms of historical narratives, a narrative about the life of Jeremiah. You find out a lot of stuff about things that happened to him, information that usually dovetails with the uh, stories in Kings and Chronicles, but, but often is supplementary to that. So we get a lot of information really about the uh, last few years of Judah in Jeremiah. And that's certainly true in all the stuff we're going to look at today. A lot of interesting historical uh, narrative, a lot of sad historical narrative in many ways. So uh, we're in chapter 37 of Jeremiah. Would somebody read chapter 37 verses 1 to 5? Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had made king in the land of Judah, reigned as king in place of Conaniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord, which he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Yet King Zedekiah sent Jephuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray to the Lord our God on our behalf. Now Jeremiah was still coming in and going out among the people, for they had not yet put him in the prison. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's army had set out from Egypt. And when the Chaldeans who had been besieging Jerusalem heard the report about them, they lifted the siege from Jerusalem. Okay, now if you remember the context in chapter 36... We had the story about Jehoiakim taking the scroll that Baruch had written for Jeremiah and cutting it up a section at a time and throwing it to fire and burning it. Uh, so that was an effort to try to do away with the message itself. In chapters 37 and 38, there will be efforts to try to do away with the messenger. You know, go to the root of the problem here. Assuming that if you can get rid of the message or the messenger, that the content won't take place, which of course is an invalid assumption. And uh, so this is in the setting of the reign of King Zedekiah. Now, do you remember who Zedekiah was? How did Zedekiah happen to become king? Nebuchadnezzar pointed at him and said, you be king. Yeah. What's Nebuchadnezzar doing saying who's going to be king? He took out the last king. Yeah. Judah doesn't choose its kings anymore. You know, the Babylonians are choosing who gets to be king. And so Nebuchadnezzar, when he came in and took Coniah away into captivity, put Zedekiah in. Now, what was Coniah's other name? Jeconiah, okay, Coniah of Jeconiah. What's his other name? You don't know who Brian. I was going to guess Jehoiakim. Wrong one, Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin. So Jehoiachin or Coniah. Probably we're dealing with a throne name and a personal name. I'm not sure which is which. But he was taken into captivity after only three months as king. And Zedekiah was appointed. What was Zedekiah to Coniah? His uncle. His uncle, very good. His uncle. So Uncle Zedekiah, which makes him actually the third son of Josiah to be king. 
Jehoahaz had been, Jehoiakim had been, and now his son Zedekiah is put in his king. But nobody's listening to Jeremiah. They're not, they're not really responding to Jeremiah's message. They really don't want to submit to God. They don't want to give up their own agenda. But Zedekiah is a really interesting guy. He's uh, kind of pathetic, really. There's a way in which he really wants to listen to God, and he really wants help from God, but he's not man enough to stand up to his officials and to really bite the bullet and do what God wants him to do. So you'll see him sort of sympathetic to Jeremiah and the message, but not really changing. For example, here, what does Zedekiah ask Jeremiah to do? Pray. Pray. Now, why would he want Jeremiah to pray? I mean, you know, if you're in trouble, hey, get a prophet to pray for you. But but sometimes, you know, people are interested in having some prayers offered, but they're not really interested in changing. You know, just a matter of, well, this is kind of, uh, you know, a, a way to try to, to find uh, uh, an emergency help from God. Uh, but we're just sort of using God in that. You know, pray for us. Uh, and, and people do that today sometimes. And so he, he, he would really like for God to just sort of endorse their policy and help them out in that. Um, and and he, he gives the setting here in verse 5 as uh, the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, they have been besieging Jerusalem. They hear that the Egyptians are on their way and temporarily they draw back from the siege of Jerusalem. They'll be back. But uh, that gave a little bit of false hope to the people of Judah, imagining that now Egypt was going to deal with Babylon and they were going to be okay. So that's kind of where this is at. Zedekiah is, you know, wants Jeremiah to pray, but he doesn't really want to change. And certainly his servants don't want to change. Comments or questions on this kind of context for chapter 37? Was Zedekiah... Why was Babylon besieging the king that they installed? Because Zedekiah had rebelled and quit paying taxes and uh, kind of allied himself with Egypt, which was typical with those last few kings. They always thought Egypt would do the trick for them. Never did. <coughs> Other comments or questions? Alright, 6 to 10. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Thus you are, thus you are to say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which which will come out of your, for your assistance is going to return to its own land of, of Egypt. <clears throat> the Chaldeans will, will also return and fight, and fight against the city, and they will capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go. For even if you have 
For even if you had defeated the entire army of the Chaldeans who have who are fighting against you, they were there were only wounded men left among them. Each man in his tent, they would rise up and burn this city with fire. Well God's got a message uh, for Zedekiah. He wants uh, not just to be in, to, to be inquired of or to be prayed to, but he, he wants uh, to to tell them uh, his perspective. And so he says, the Egyptian army that's on on its way to help is actually going to go back home. You know, relying on Egypt is kind of like betting on the wrong horse. You know, Egypt's not going to win. Egypt's not going to help. They're going back, and the Babylonians, Chaldeans. They are returning and they're going to besiege the city again. And uh, this time, what's going to happen to Jerusalem? It's going to be burned. Yeah, it's going to be destroyed and burned, captured and burned. And so, this is, it's not going to be a pretty sight. This is not an encouraging message. Jeremiah is not an overly positive preacher. Uh, but of course, really, whether or not you're positive or negative. It depends on what the message of God that he's told you to tell is. And in this case, he said, you know, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Now he says, don't you deceive yourselves in verse 9, because the Babylonians uh, have left. He says, even if you had defeated, this is interesting in verse 10, even if you had defeated the entire army of Chaldeans who were fighting against you, and there were only wounded men left among them, each man in his own tent, they would rise up and burn the city with fire. Because the, the idea of the Babylonians conquering and destroying Jerusalem was not, it didn't have anything to do with political or military considerations. It was God's decree. God had determined the Babylonians are going to destroy Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you've defeated the Babylonian army and there's just a few wounded men left. They're still going to destroy Jerusalem because God says they will. You know, so don't don't think, well, we'll just be stronger than they are, or we'll kill a bunch of them, and then they'll go away, because God has said the Babylonians will destroy Jerusalem. So, Babylon's not just going to disappear from their screens. Thoughts and comments? The, uh, the Babylonians are going to destroy Jerusalem. The blessings and cursings back in Deuteronomy and repeated in other places where if God is on your side, then one of you will put a thousand of them to flight, and if not, then one of them will put a thousand or ten thousand of you to flight. And, you know, the, the wounded guy crawls out, throws throws the, the torch into the city, and boom, it's gone. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter how big the army is. What matters is the Lord's will in the matter. That's the thing. And once we see that, then it's no big help if we got a bigger army than they do. There is a passage in Second Chronicles twenty-four, twenty-three. This uh, we're going to. What we're about to say is something that happens a lot of times in Israel's favor 
where Israel had a smaller, less well-equipped army, but God gave them the victory. But look at 2 Chronicles 24-23. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people, and sent all their spoils to the king of Damascus. Indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men. Yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. So there's another case where God gave the victory to the smaller army, the Aramean army, over Judah because of Judah's unfaithfulness. God can go either way. God can give the victory to Gideon's army over the Midianites, the Israelites having a much smaller army than the Midianites, or God can give the victory to the enemy of Israel even though their army is smaller or less well equipped. So really the key to victory is faithfulness to God, not military strength. Thoughts and comments? I think it's also encouraging for us, you know, just looking at Jeremiah, you know, having the faith to go and speak the message of what God said, you know, and helping us to not to be afraid to go and talk to other people. You know, and if we do it, you know, God will help us and give us the courage to do that. Well, and the and the thing that's hard about that is sometimes the message is not pleasant for people, depending on their conduct. Jeremiah was willing to deliver very unpleasant messages, and we'll see it has some negative consequences to him, and he's still willing to boldly speak the message, which is I mean, what else is a prophet of God going to do? If a, prof- if a prophet of God is not going to relay what God told him, he's not much of a prophet. As Christians, if we're not spreading the message God told us to spread, we're not much Christians. We don't have a choice about the message. You know, we just we just repeat what the Lord said. But not, not for everybody is that a positive message. Other thoughts? Okay, uh, 11 to 16. Now it happened when the army of the Chaldeans had lifted the siege from Jerusalem because Pharaoh's army, army the Jer- and Jer- Jeremiah went out to Jerusalem. That Jeremiah went out to Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin in order to take possession of some property there among the people. While it was at the great the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard, whose name was Urijah, the son of Shalmiah, the son of Hananiah, was there, and he arrested Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are going over to the Chaldeans. But Jeremiah said, A lie, I am not going over to the Chaldeans, yet he would not listen to him. So Arijah arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. Then the officials were angry at Jeremiah and beat him, and they put him in jail in the house of Jonathan the scribe, which he had made into prison. For Jeremiah had come into the dungeon that is the vaulted cell, and Jeremiah stayed there many days. Now, as we said, we're in a time period where the Babylonians had been besieging the city. They had it surrounded and blockading it. And then they had temporarily withdrawn. 
Jeremiah takes advantage of that opportunity when the Babylonians have pulled back to go out and uh, possess some property. And when he does that, what do they falsely accuse Jeremiah of doing? Deserting. Deserting, like defecting to the Babylonians. Wonder why they would have thought that, or at least said that. Because Jeremiah has been uh, preaching and prophesying that the Babylonians are going to win, this city is going to be overtaken and burned with fire. And had even been encouraging them to surrender to Babylon. But if it had been Jeremiah's intention to defect to Babylon, he picked a very poor time to do it. The Babylonians had left. Now, that's probably not when you want to go out and try to surrender to them when they're not there at the moment. They were miles away. The fact is, he'd gone out there to claim his property, but they trump up this charge. Jeremiah says, it's a lie, verse 14. I am not going over to the Chaldeans. They won't listen. They arrest him, and what do they do to Jeremiah? Arrest him. They arrest him and? Beat him. Beat him and? Imprisoned him in this dungeon for many days. Um, You know, it's interesting how unbelief, which often, you know, talks about the need for tolerance and open-mindedness, is usually unbelievably intolerant and cruel against opposition. You know, so they are really making it hard on Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes through these experiences fairly often. We'll see some more. You know, if, if, if you're preaching caused you to be arrested, beaten, and imprisoned in a dungeon, how would that affect your motivation to preach? Would you still do it? I mean, that, that, that's the challenge. You know, sometimes for us, if we just get a door slammed on our face or somebody being unfriendly to us, we're ready to stop. Jeremiah goes through all this and keeps speaking. Comments and thoughts? I think it's really cool to be. Oh, you're you're fine, John. Right. I think it's really cool to be able to see to the length he's doing this, and be able to you know go to prison. And I'm thinking of Paul going to prison and how he's still determined to teach even in prison, and uh, just kind of the determination of that. You can apply that. Absolutely, it's encouraging, Brian. Um, I, and I think a big thing that stops us is that we often trick ourselves into thinking that it's worse than it really is. I mean, sure, the, the idea of prison is a bad thing, and it is, but like, if you look at Paul and Jeremiah and their attitudes, clearly it's not as bad as we want to make it. Well, you know, the bad thing for any of us is not being with the Lord. The Lord is not with us. It's bad. If the Lord's with us anywhere we are... You know, then then we've got hope and confidence and strength. That's the key. Okay, so the physical circumstances are bad. But we serve the Lord. Everything's great. And when we die, it's going to be better. Other thoughts? I think that makes a lot of sense. We're able to, you know, our goal isn't, you know, partially is, but our goal isn't to convert people, it's to spread the gospel. God's the one who converts people. Amen. Yeah. Other thoughts? 
At 17 to 21. King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against the land? Now hear, please, O my lord the king, let my humble plea come before you, and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan, the secretary, lest I die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders, and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard, and a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Zedekiah is so interesting. What does he do now? Asks who? Where did Jeremiah? In prison. In a dungeon. So what does he have to do? Yeah, he brings him out and asks him secretly. Is there a message from God? Why does he ask him secretly? Because he doesn't want other people to know that he's talking to Jeremiah. Exactly. You know, who's the king here? He doesn't act like much of a king. He continues to be torn between uh, his advisors and Jeremiah. It's almost like he's intimidated by his advisors. Let them know that I'm talking to you. But the fact that he wants to know if there's a word of the Lord from Jeremiah tells you what about it. Well, it, it could mean that he's desperate and he wants any any possible word about the future. Or it could mean that he has a belief in God. It's still... He, he does seem to be interested in knowing what God's saying. It's like, like on the one hand, he caves into political pressure. On the other hand, he sure would like the Lord to uh, give some positive affirmation. You know, are, you, are we ever like that kind of back and forth, kind of torn from one side to the other? You know, uh, James talks about that being a double-minded man. <laughs> you know, you kind of believe in the Lord, you kind of believe in the world. You kind of love God, you kind of love the world. You know, you're kind of here, you're kind of there. Zedekiah is like the wave of the sea, you know. He is uh, just back and forth. You know who he reminds me of in the New Testament? Herod? I wasn't thinking of Herod, but somebody closely associated with him. How about Pilate? Isn't that kind of Pilate? You know, on the one hand, I, he's an innocent man. I find no guilt in him. On the other hand, well, scourging. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> what are you doing scourging an innocent man? And then, you know, caving into the pressure to crucify him. I mean, it's like, Pilate didn't really want to, to do this injustice to Jesus, but on the other hand, he didn't want to make him mad. So, you know, that kind of reminds me of Zedekiah. You almost feel like he'd like to listen to God, and and he really wants Jeremiah's approval and support, but he sure doesn't want to have to do all it would take to do that. So he's kind of caught in the middle here. So 
Here Jeremiah is being brought secretly out of the dungeon to the palace. And Zedekiah says, is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah says, yep, sure is. Well, you know, what kind of a, how how are you going to, uh, you know, tell this message to the king under these circumstances? Don't you love Jeremiah not flinching here in any way? You will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. (laughs) That's a wonderful message, isn't it? Just what he didn't want to hear. This is vintage Jeremiah. You know, just saying it like it is. is. This is it. Jeremiah not only says, the Babylonians are going to take you, Zedekiah, but he also says, you know, what have I done that you put me in prison? And what about the prophets who said the king of Babylon won't come against you? What about them? They were clearly false prophets because the king of Babylon had come against them, and these false prophets had said they never will. Jeremiah told the truth. It came to pass. The false prophets lied. Didn't come to pass. Why is it Jeremiah's in prison and they're out? Isn't that a good question? If you were going to imprison prophets, you better idea to imprison the false ones, don't you think? So why is it Jeremiah's the one in prison and not the false prophets? The main false prophet was already dead. Oh, Hananiah? Hananiah. Yeah, good point. And it may be his grandson here that's uh, kind of been in uh, the lead in this accusation that he's defecting to the uh, Chaldeans, at least is the grandson of some Hananiah. And the rest of him. Yeah, exactly. Elijah. You know, it's, it's one of those deals where the message that people want to hear, true or false, <laughs> tends to get honored. And the guy who teaches the truth, even though it's the truth, tends to get persecuted. You know, the, the prophet who speaks the truth is in prison. The prophets that lie to you, they're out doing well. They're, the counterfeits are the ones that get the honor. That shouldn't be that way. And, and Jeremiah's complaining about that. He said, don't make me go back there to that dungeon. <laughs> You know, he's putting, you know, I guess a plea, you would say, to Zedekiah. And what does Zedekiah do? Throws him in the prison, but feeds him. I think into a different place. Am I right about that? Yeah, he puts him in the in the guardhouse in the court as opposed to into the dungeon. Yeah, so this is a better thing. He's still technically incarcerated, but he's not back in the dungeon. He's not back there in Jonathan's place. You know, he doesn't want to go back there. You know, so he gets put in the court of the guardhouse, and they give him bread every day until the bread runs out. <laughs> of course, the bread would run out in this siege condition that the Babylonians, re- Babylonians reimpose, because that's the biggest problem with the siege back in that period of time, is that you're blockading the city, no supplies get in, and eventually food runs out. But as long as there was bread, Jeremiah gets a loaf a day while he's in the court of the guardhouse. So while what Jeremiah said to Zedekiah didn't get him totally freed, it got him better living conditions and uh, incarcerated. Thoughts and comments? Yes. Do you think they were feeding him in the dungeon when he was there? 
I don't know if they were, it wasn't as good as he got in the court of the guardhouse. That's what I would say. Maybe not even. I don't know. John? Does it seem like there are more false prophets emphasized in Jeremiah than others? Or am I just noticing this? Or? There are a lot in Jeremiah. Now, Ezekiel says a lot about false prophets, too. They're contemporaries, just in a different venue. So I think there were a lot of false prophets in this period of time. Some of the minor prophets talk some about false prophets, too. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel are two big ones on false prophets. Other thoughts? All right, chapter 38, verses 1 to 6. 